Totally Football Show as flies to wanton boys are we to the pods. Today, none the wiser at the North London Derby, Jamie Vardy, Mauro Icardi, Sergio Aguero, Lardi Dardi, plus is the Sadio V Salah clash at Liverpool what Diddy meant when he said mo mane mo problems. All that and so much more in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a brand new week. And uh, joining us today, we've got you, Tom Williams, author of Do You Speak Football? Hello. Also here, Matt Davis-Adams, commentator for Chelsea TV and many, many other top broadcasting uh, entities. Many other broadcasting entities, yeah. Lovely. Okay. And, ooh, it's only Amy Lawrence, now of The Athletic. Hey, James. Welcome on board, Amy. Thanks. Nice what, to see you. What club are you going to be covering for The Athletic? Uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, Shall we toss a coin? <laughs> Ah. Boom, boom. Amy, cut you and you bleed a slightly disappointing second half of seasons and, and general frustration in any way. Well, it depends how far back in history books you want no, to go. That's true, that's true. But you are Lady Arsenal. And uh, we'll be hearing your thoughts on the big Arsenal game this weekend, which is the North London Derby, of course, Sunday afternoon. Uh, it's also, of course, though, transfer deadline day everywhere but this country. And what, what, what are the latest excitements, Matt? Well, uh, Falcao to Galatasaray is one. Wow. Uh, and also, it is actually transfer deadline day in England to an extent because League One and League Two players can still sign clubs up until the close of play today. Oh, well, thanks for correcting me on that. That Falcao transfer looks very exciting. Uh, what were the numbers there at the airport in Turkey? 25,000, apparently. Wow. You have a name for that in Greece. Uh, they call it an airport transfer, a metagraphy aerodromio. I apologise for my pronunciation. And that's when a transfer is so big that when the new player arrives, fans will flock to the airport in their hundreds, if not thousands. Wow. Does it suggest that effectively you're really making that transfer more for the visual impact of crowds at an airport than for anything they'll do yeah. on the field? Well, it's the way that we might talk about like a marquee signing. You might right. say what they really need this summer is an airport transfer. Right. Get the fans back on side. And fair play to Falcao, who's been playing at the Stade Louis de the worst atmosphere in European football. And he's right. been desperate to get out and get back in the Champions League, play some with, with a bit of atmos. I'm sure he'd be loving that. That crowd at the airport is probably about double the average attendance at the Stade Louis Deux, and I'm not joking. If not, if not even more, if, if not, not quadruple or quintuple. Right. Okay. Well, there are many other deals going on, and I wonder, Amy, for example, is, we may touch on it later, or, or I don't know, Mkhitaryan to Roma. I mean, it wasn't quite the same throng. Is that an aunt airport transfer? For Roma or yeah. for Arsenal fans to cheer, cheer him up. Sorry, that's so unfair. Um, he's not that bad, He's is he? not that bad, but he's also not been that great. So I think what it, what it tells is the bigger picture of Arsenal trying to get away from the sort of complacency that they've had for many years, that players would just sort of sit there and not necessarily be the answer, but not, get, not going anywhere in a hurry. And there's a ruthlessness now. They've, I think they've... I saw, I think it was Daniel Story did a tweet of the 27 FA Cup winning team or squad Mm. plus however many are allowed on the bench these days. There's quite a lot of players. Almost everyone had a big red line through it. I mean, the only, I think, survivors... 2017? Yeah, I mean, it's not that long ago. It's only two seasons ago. Um, And that squad that won the FA Cup that day against Chelsea... There's virtually nobody still there. Ozil, who perhaps would, would be in the club's idea of an airport transfer... That obviously isn't happening, uh, it seems, anytime soon. Rob Holding is still there, and there was one other, uh, and that was it. I mean, yeah, and there's this sort of 
a whole ream of players that it's felt that they culturally I think Arsenal needed to move on from from right. those days of sort of indulging or just kind of getting on with guys. Mkhitaryan was one. I mean that was that whole swap deal in hindsight has to go down as one of the most bizarre and and uh, unloved deals for all concerned. Worked out for nobody. Well, hey, uh, Bellerin, by the way, was the uh, was was another player from 2017. Still, there still there. Anyway, right, North London derby. Since you're here, we might as well see what you made of Sunday's clash with Spurs. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And that second one, brilliant from Lacazette. It really is. Goes past Vertonghen there with that one as well. Wonderful strike to finish. The back of the net from Lacazette. Game on in the derby. North London derby. Spurs two up. Arsenal pull it back. And the two teams continue their excellent record of neither winning this fixture very much. At various times, this was a game that promised to speak volumes, but at the end, were we any the wiser? Well, I think some of the talk pre-game had been about the potential... So we've spent so long in recent seasons talking about the power shift in North London. North London is now white and it, it spurs his territory. And this was potentially going to show that actually Arsenal are coming on and, and are better than than they were certainly last season um, and that Spurs have slipped back a little bit but not in any great definitive way um, but I thought it was quite telling that by the end of the game you felt that Spurs were much more relieved to hear the final whistle um, although they continued to threaten on the break they were really under the cosh for most of the game and, and as a consequence yeah I, I don't think it's I don't think it's sort of moved things forward all that much um, in terms of you know the power shift but I think it shows that Arsenal are moving in the right direction and that Spurs are uh, not really moving at all. Amy, how important was that Lacazette goal? Critical. Um, I think anybody would accept that a, a, a derby of any sort, there's a sort of baseline that has to be met, which is, you know, thou shalt not lose. You know, you, that's the bottom line of any derby. And I think when you go 2-0 down at home, particularly a home game against your local rivals, you just can't be losing them, you know, at any level and nothing else really matters apart from that. So the fact that the first half have been really so chronic from Arsenal's point of view and it just goes to show there's quite a lot of uh, positivity around the club that kind of occurred this summer what with them bringing in some quite exciting new players but you know in terms of collaborating with the team around you my particular pet point on Arsenal at the moment is the balance of midfield and I think I've come away from every match so far sort of raving about one of the midfield players right first week it was Joe Willock second week it was Danny Ceballo and then it was Lucas Torreira and then it was Matteo Guendouzi yesterday who had an outstanding second half um, and really made a difference they've got to get that blend right and obviously Granit Xhaka's a bit of an issue in there because he tends Mm. to play and they somehow need to if they can get the midfield right I think that's the springboard at which they can try and get the balance where the front players are really let free and the defence is maybe given a, a, the help it needs, which right. it obviously does need. What, what about Spurs, Matt? First half, and, and they looked bothered, which was nice after the midweek comments from uh, Pochettino about lack of motivation and enthusiasm from the team. But the, the, the first half, so deadly on the break, and then in the second? Yeah, I mean, deadly on the break to an extent in the first half, but they were gifted both goals. You know, Leno should have done much better with the shot that was palmed out straight to Ericsson and then Xhaka conceded a, a fairly needless penalty. So I'm not sure I was overly impressed with them. And then in the second half, obviously there had a lot of joy down. Arsenal had a lot of joy down Spurs' right-hand side uh, because Devinson Sanchez was, was playing right back, which is not his position. And, and it again highlighted 
you know, their, their transfer business and how it actually doesn't look particularly good at the moment, particularly in the players they've kept and the players they've let go. Why do they sell Kieran Trippier would be my Right. Question. Jack Pitbrook writing that the fullback situation at Tottenham is a genuine crisis. Yeah, I mean, the bigger crisis is the fact that Pochettino seems to be plotting his exit strategy and that and that is something which is going to rumble on throughout the season, I would imagine. And, you know, if a job becomes available at Real Madrid or Manchester United, he's going to be the front runner for those. And, and that can't be helping the squads, um, you know, to the same extent that the Ericsson situation isn't. We're recording on Monday, obviously. We don't know what's going to happen at the close of play today. He seems to think it's unlikely, but... There's just a, a, a general mood of discontent around Tottenham. Right, the Sun, Sun looked good. Uh, Vertonghen made his return to the Sunday lineup, but that wasn't quite as uh, quite as much of a positive as I think a lot of people had expected. Yeah, um, a mixed afternoon, I think you'd, you'd say, for Vertonghen. Um, and he's found himself in the same boat as Ericsson in that they're both out of contract at the end of the season. And so there's a risk that um, you know they'll be, they'll be leaving for nothing. Um, and Pochettino's response has been to keep Vertonghen out of the team entirely up until yesterday um, and also to use Ericsson a, a lot less than, than you would expect. Obviously, Ericsson um, started yesterday, haven't been on the bench for that defeat against Newcastle. Vertonghen came in and yeah, they did look a bit shaky. Uh, Sort of starting off with the goal kicks. I mean, that, that sort of determination to to keep both centre backs on the edge of the six yard box at every goal kick, almost inviting the Arsenal players. And often all they did was just play. Lloris would just play the ball to one of the centre backs, who'd give it back to him, and Lloris would then just hoof it down the pitch. And you think, I, I suppose, the thinking there is you're going to try and trick Arsenal into pressing you, but it, it didn't didn't seem to make all that sense. Um, but yeah, as Matt says, I think I think the main issue for Spurs defensively was Davinson Sanchez, who was being played out of position who had a, a bit of a shocker um, right from, from the start and obviously that was something that, that Arsenal targeted you know, with, with Aubameyang and um, you know, Lacazette's goal comes from that side. Uh, I think one of the issues with Spurs is that they're such a unique club. You look at the players, the, the spine of the team that hasn't really changed for the last four or five years and these players have all been collectively peaking in these very unusual circumstances where there hasn't really been much money to spend and they've been massively punching above their weight in terms of what their rivals spend um, and you just think, what? where do Spurs go from here? I mean, last season, qualified for the Champions League, reached the Champions League final, which is an absolute miracle when you look at their resources. They're probably not going to get a better chance to win the Champions League in, in the short term. They don't look like they're going to challenge for the title this season. Already Liverpool and City have, you know, have picked up where they left off from last season. Spurs aren't anywhere near them. Pochettino's looking at, you know, possibly where he wants to go next. Ericsson's already talking about wanting to move on. And you just think, where, you know, where do Spurs go from here? OK, who'll be happier with the 2-2 draw? I'm not sure either will be happier, actually. Let's see. Chelsea, perhaps? Uh, yeah, Chelsea, Manchester United, Leicester. All right, we'll talk about them a little bit later on. Ali Johnson has been in touch, joining the legion of people upset with me having fun and calling Danny Ceballos Danny Onions, because <laughs> Ceballos is actually not onions, it's Ceballos. Sub, yeah, apparently not. Although it, I, I was watching the game behind the goal and literally when he came on, the bloke just in front was like oh well played onions I exactly mean, i mean that's what he seems to be fairly well known at come within... on we all need a little <laughs> bit of fun and at least james you didn't call him danny celibas which was what jamie redknapp spent the entire afternoon calling him on sky's commentary celibas celib danny celibas ali johnson uh, also chips in suggesting that we pronounce uh, giovanni lo celso as chelso uh, which is wrong so, ha, Yabu sucks to you, Ali Johnson. Well, you know, the Premier League have actually finally got round to doing what the Bundesliga have been doing for ages and mm. got the players to sit down and say their names, which um, took several takes for some of them to do. Um, but that is very useful. And if you can get access to that, it's worth watching. I didn't know, for example, that it was Willy Caballero, not Caballero. Right, interesting. Mm. 
There is a, a relevant thread that appeared on Twitter um, over the weekend from Danny Jameson, who is a presenter and reporter for the Premier League, and he's gone through some of the common pronunciation mistakes that people have been making. It's not Timo Pukki. Timo Pukki. Nice. Pukki. Sebastian Alley. Yep. Shea Adams, rather than Shea Adams. Yep. Um, and there's, there's more where all that came from. It is a genuine issue for commentators, by the way, that. Yes. Uh, because you, you, you kind of can't do right for doing wrong, because if you say... Temupuki in commentary, people will think you're trying too hard. Right? <laughs> and if you say, one. Yeah, yeah, quite. If you say Santi Cathola, then again, you know, what, what are you going to do? Amy Jake Callahan uh, wants to know with Xhaka dropping a one out of 10 and Guendouzi looking better every week, what should Arsenal's first choice midfield be for the remainder of the season? Over to you, Amy. Ah, over to Unai. Ask the big, the big critical question. Who's, who's, your, who's your first name on the midfield team sheet? It's changed week by week. That's the problem. I, I thought that um, Danny Onions. Danny Onions was was when he came on, uh, and and considering he had a rough afternoon at Anfield the the week before, and um, I think that was a bit of a, a a kind of reality bite for him, and that he'd had a superb first match mm. against. Burnley and then looked totally shell shocked to be at Anfield. And so, who are you going to put in then? Well, yes, I would put him in. And, oh, yeah? and uh, Gwendouzi, I think the critical thing is the fact uh, Arsenal don't actually really have a proper sort of set, sort of defensive midfield player. If you look at all the options, you know, that's why Granite Xhaka ends up playing there right. because they don't really have that kind of prototype of a, of a quite sort of tall, athletic uh-huh. guy who sits and wins tackles and wins balls in the air and just sort of neatly plays the ball forward and lets the, the more attacking players get on with the job. And Torreira's not like that because he's well, not he's big not like enough? not like that because he's five foot five. Right. And um, I, I not noticed watching the game... perhaps as well. I, I really like Torreira, but noticed yesterday that because Tottenham's, a lot of Tottenham's players are massive. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's only got little legs and he, he kind of couldn't get to the guy he was chasing down just because sort of almost the span of his running mm. just couldn't keep up with some with much longer legs and I think Unai Emery fundamentally doesn't trust putting a guy in front of the back four who if there's something coming in the air he can't realistically be expected to head it away first time so it means that he ends up playing a slightly different position and Spurs any positive you want to take for them Matt? <sighs> Uh, they didn't lose the game, which they probably should have done right. in the second half. Uh, don't know. Other than that, I'm struggling, to be honest. I mean, Harry with Kane Arsenal, didn't get booked for diving. Fair. With Arsenal, we can see good things coming down the pipeline. But with Spurs, you're struggling a little bit more to be optimistic. In terms of, Just in terms of the manager and, and, and the sort of attitude around the place. And going back to, to um, Ericsson and Vertonghen, you look at the way they've been treated by Pochettino as opposed to how Emery dealt with Aaron Ramsey last season, where he was a bit more pragmatic about it and just mm. played him. And you think, that, well, that's surely the better way to do it. I see. Amy, your latest book, 89, Arsenal's Greatest Moments, is going to be available when? Uh, October the 3rd. Arsenal's greatest moment. You're going to leave us, though, now, I believe, Amy, yes? Yeah, I'm going to head off. Thanks all right. for having me. <laughs> right, not at all. No, it was lovely of you to come by. Nice to see you again. You too. And, uh, yeah, hopefully you'll, you'll, you'll join us again on the, the, the Totally Football Show. Always. It's nice to have a break from advertising, so here's some classical music. Nice. Mm. At Paddy Power, we thought football shirts could use a break from advertising too. That's why we've sponsored Huddersfield Town's shirt without a logo and started the Save Our Shirt campaign where any football team that Paddy Power sponsor will be, well, unsponsored. <laughs> Don't you wish we weren't on your shirt too? Now, let's get Bark to the music. 
<laughs> Putty power. Enough of the nonsense. 18 plus. BeGumbleAware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. By the way, listener, if you're London-based or enjoy a trip to the big smoke to hear clever folk talk football, do join us at the Totally Football Live at the South Bank Centre in London on Monday, the September the 30th. Moi, Julien Laurent, James Horncastle, and also Duncan Alexander, who's currently marooned in Rome. Good luck to you, Duncan, if you're listening. That's Totally Football Live in London, Monday, September the 30th. And by the way, if you head to thetotallyfootballshow.com forward slash events, you can not only buy tickets, assuming there are still any, to that show, but also for our November dates in Liverpool and Belfast and quite possibly Dublin too. Ooh. Arsenal drew, Spurs drew, Man United drew, Chelsea drew, but not the big two, Matt. Liverpool putting three past Burnley City, four against Brighton. Neither of the uh, the leaders or the last season's leaders conceding. Liverpool's win, their 13th in a row, looking good. Yeah, and, and this is a particularly impressive one. Uh, as we know, Burnley, uh, not the easiest place to get a result on occasion. Mm. And Pope had, had made some good saves before, before Alexander-Arnold's deflected shot went in for 1-0 and then a fairly rare Ben Mee error. Uh, for 2-0 just a couple of minutes later. But yeah, it was all pretty much rosy other than, than Sadio Mane. Uh, tip of the hat to Roberto Firmino, first Brazilian to 50 Premier League goals. Nice. And then, yeah, Mane's strop, which was yeah TV, if nothing else. It was fantastic. Like His flame out when he comes out, comes off, has a go at Henderson, but then it turns out the real focus of his ire is Mo Salah for not squaring the ball to him previously. Yeah, Mo Salah, who, who played as if he was captain of his own fantasy football team um, and was conscious of the needs to, uh, to accumulate some points when his two teammates had already helped themselves. And yeah, there were two occasions late in the game where he should obviously have passed to a teammate. In one instance, it was Firmino. In one instance, it was Mane. And actually, when he ignored Mane, Mane didn't, he wasn't all that um, demonstrative in his reaction. Mm. But then when he came off, he did let rip. And it was I quite enjoyed the camera angle from behind Mane. You saw the reactions on the Liverpool bench of all the faces. And it was just like, oh, he really is just blowing a gasket here. Right. Uh, and there was also quite an amusing moment that was captured on, I think it was Liverpool's um, Instagram uh, story of all the players filing past in the tunnel. And Mane's still in a bit of a funk and Roberto Firmino flashes this sort of comedy grimace at the camera as if to say all oh, cripes but apparently it was all sorted out afterwards though and they're, they're best of friends and the numbers to be fair the numbers suggest that, that it's really not that much of an issue if you look at passes it's pretty much even back and forth between Mane and Salah assists Mane's contributed uh, seven assists to Salah Salah only four back but it's not it's not we're not at Del Piero and Inzaghi levels put it that way no, it didn't seem to be anything of any great consequence. I mean, I think the three of them clearly get on like a house on fire off the pitch and have a fantastic understanding on it. And it, it looked like Mane, who had a fantastic game, you know, had already got a goal, was just blowing off a bit of a bit of steam. Fair. And, and probably why he got so cross was that it was such an unusual situation. You know, if it was something that happened regularly, he'd probably have got used to it by now. But but that's why he was was so annoyed about it, even though he scored in the game. Absolutely. And Matt, as someone who ooh. actually did have Mo Salah as his fantasy football captain, <laughs> no blame from me. Man City, meanwhile, the big news there, uh, Amrit Laporte's injury. 
Yeah, terrible timing for him. Uh, obviously, bad news for City. He's been their most dependable centre-back uh, ever since he came in. Um, he's, you know, the only one who is guaranteed to start every game. Uh, and just back in the France squad. I mean, we know that he's got this slightly uneasy relationship with Didier Deschamps, who's never been entirely convinced by his capacity to sort of blend into into the squad. Uh, and injuries and, and losses of form to various different players have opened the door for him again. Um, and then what was it, 36 minutes on the clock and there's a, a fairly anodyne collision with, with Adam Webster um, after a loose pass uh, back towards him uh, and looked like he'd, he'd done a pretty serious knee injury. We're still waiting to see how, how bad it is, but from the noises that were coming out from the City dressing room after the game, it, he's, he's probably going to be out for a little while. It's crazy to think of a club with their resources not having a deep enough squad to cope with something like this. But how short are they now in terms of a replacement? Well, they do have John Stones, but for some reason he seems to have gone completely out of fashion uh, with Pep. So it's going to be interesting to see whether he comes back or whether they put Fernandinho back there for a while, I suppose. Mm, that, that seems be to another... be the, the, the clever people are saying it'll be Fernandinho. Yeah, I think we maybe we're getting ever closer to Daniel Story's prediction of uh, Vincent Kompany lifting the title come May. Uh, next year but I, I also in this game away from Laporte I did like the uh, the pet bingo at the end of the match lavish praise upon the opposition that are handsomely beaten because they let you beat them handsomely it was that yeah it was the line I like to watch teams play with that courage which we're reading between the lines please attackers we will destroy you all <laughs> alright well still to come then on this Totally Football Show we'll look at the chasing pack which actually right now is Leicester and Crystal Palace and after they triumphed against Wolves we'll be hearing why Everton now enjoy the sirens Listeners, this is producer Ben, and like many of you, I'm nearly 40, my tummy's getting no smaller, and I still dress like I'm in my 20s. So imagine my surprise when Stitch Fix rang up Totally Towers and invited me to try them out. You see, Stitch Fix is an online personal stylist service that takes the work out of dressing well. They've got all your favourite brands like Superdry, River Island and Penguin, and best of all, it's dead easy to use. All I had to do was sign up at stitchfix.com, answer a few questions about my style, lots of black, my size, medium, my shape, not as slim as I used to be, and my budget, definitely not a footballer. In a few days, I received a smartly packed box of clothes hand-picked by one of their team of stylists. They sent a very cool black polo shirt, some not-too-skinny skinny black jeans, and a really smart long sleevey that's charcoal. Oh, and a white shirt because it's important to embrace change. You try everything on at home so you can mix and match the stuff they send you with the rest of your wardrobe. You keep what you want and send back what you don't and delivery is free both ways. You just pay a one-off stylist fee of £10 which is used against any of the clothes that you decide to keep. Try it for yourself on the Stitch Fix app or at stitchfix.com slash totally. That's S-T-I-T-C-H-F-I-X dot com slash totally. Sunday at Goodison, Everton Wolves battle of the top six contenders, a 3-2 victory for Marco Silva's Everton. We're joined now by Matt Jones of Everton Podcast, The Blue Room, to uh, get carried away, hopefully, with, with how good Everton are going to be this year. Matt, how are you? I'm very well. I'm, I wouldn't say I'm getting carried away quite yet, James, but I'm uh, certainly very pleased with the way Everton played on Sunday against Wolves. It feels like a big result. Yeah, it does, yeah. I think Everton obviously went to Aston Villa on Friday night and turned in a really poor performance and it was the sort of performance that can have a, a major blemish on the start of the season when everyone's getting very excited and they've had two tests this week, obviously going to Lincoln City on Wednesday in the EFL Cup and having to come from behind after an early goal conceded there and doing it pretty well, but of course you caveat that with the fact that it is Lincoln and Everton played a pretty strong side and 
And Wolves on Sunday was always going to be the, the bigger test. And I think what was really refreshing for a lot of Evertonians is that this was a Wolves side that tickled Everton's tummies when they played against them in February, really outclassed Everton at Goodison Park. And it showed, I think, how far Everton have come. Um, I think they played it really well for long spells. The two goals conceded were very soft, but I think overall it was a it was a fantastic performance. And like you said there, it sends everybody off into the international break with a big smile on the face. Absolutely. What's the key to the difference in the home form that Everton have been enjoying and the rather more patchy uh, set of results on the road, drawing at Palace, losing at Villa, the, the Lincoln result? I think it's quite difficult to put our, our fingers on it, really. I think the one thing I'd say in regards to this is, is belief. I think Marco Silva's implemented a very distinct style of play. He likes his teams to, to press from the front, um, and that means defenders playing the high line. And I think that's a, a style which is very easy to get behind and implement when you're a player, when you've got Gunson Park uh, roaring, your, you know, roaring your run. And the atmosphere at, at the Old Lady has been fantastic recently. Um, so I think that style is very easy to implement when you're at home. Um, but when you go away from home, I think Everton have been caught a little bit between. I think sometimes they've been prone to sitting in, you've had attackers pushing on it and it's left gaps and they've sort of got caught between the two but I'm hopeful that as Everton continues to play well at home and obviously that was the, the sixth win um, in a row at Goodison Park and I was the goals yesterday were the first goals conceded at Goodison Park since February I think as confidence builds with the home form and the way the team are playing at home hopefully that will sort of transpire to, to the away form and Everton when, especially when they come back from the international break against Bournemouth will be a lot more confident in what they're all about Right and plus of course the air raid siren that you started playing there <laughs> Yeah of course that was inherited from um, boxer Tony Bally I think he was the first person to do that and it was used for the first time in March for the Merseyside derby um, which you know, sort, of, sort of a bit different creates a great atmosphere and uh, I think it's sort of been kept along as a good luck charm since then. And Everton have won six, drawn one since the siren was introduced. So, uh, yeah, very much up the siren toffees at the moment. In that right. regard. No, it does sound really good. Um, how were you on Marco Silva, say, last season? Do you, were you particularly optimistic that given time he'd come good? And, and, and what's your thoughts now on him? I think that the thing for me is that he... He's come back from the Nadir of last season. I think after the, the game against uh, Millwall in the FA Cup, which everybody saw on free-to-play television, Everton were pretty pathetic in all aspects of the play. And then going to Watford away a few weeks later, where it was all very embarrassing for Marco Silva because he had the manager that replaced him. Everton had Watford's former best player in Richardson in the team. And, and they were awful and they got well beaten that day. And at that point, you're sort of thinking, there's no way back for this fella. But... What's been really encouraging for me is the way he's turned it around. And I think it's it's credit to Everton he's sort of given him the time because I think a lot of managers in this day and age don't get that opportunity to, to pull things back again. And he's done that. He's sorted the defence out. All the talk of zonal marking issues are, are gone now. Everton look pretty solid from set pieces, albeit he conceded from a cheap throw in yesterday. But in the main, it's been pretty good. And, and, and in the attack, the, the team's been fantastic as well. And the additions of players like Alex Wobie and, and Moyes Keane seem to, to really fit the blueprints, really seem to fit that incisive, high-intensity, high-pressure football that he wants to play. Um, and he seems to have motivated these players and, and got everybody on side. And I think that's that's been indicative in the way, as you mentioned there, Goodison Park has been. I think this is a team that the Evertonians can really resonate with, uh, really enjoying watching, they're really enjoying getting behind. And, and for a team like Everton that have sort of been rattling around in mid-table for the last five or six years now, um, enjoying going the match and enjoying watching the football team is really important. And I think Silva deserves a lot of credit for doing that. Right. You're still below Crystal Palace in the table, so, you know, it's got too, too excited. <laughs> but where, earth, where, where, do you, where do you think, where, are you, where would you be hoping to finish? Top six, is that, is that potentially a target for you this year? 
Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think it's it's hard not to look at the, the you know tribulations being endured by people like Manchester United and and Chelsea and think there's an opening there. But you've also got to look at teams like Leicester who've started very well. I think Wolves, while they weren't at the best at the Goodison Park on Sunday, are a fine side as well. West Ham have had a good start to the season. So I think I think there's a lot of people, um, a lot of Evertonians who are looking at this situation and saying that it, it's there to be gone. I'm probably a little bit more cautious in that regard. I'd say what I want to see from this season, uh, probably three things really. I want to see the team continue to make progress. Um, that just in regards to the eye test that I see at the football matches. I want to see a cup run at Goodison Park as well this season. Obviously, there's, there's not many years left at Goodison Park now. I want to see some big nights there with Everton potentially pushing on in the League Cup or, or the FA Cup. So, yeah, I think that those things are really important in that regard. And like I said there, the third and final thing is I want to enjoy going to watch this football team because I think Everton in the main, and I imagine a lot of people listening to this show will probably won't care about Everton, won't, won't even think about Everton because they are probably being the most boring football team in the Premier League over the last few years. Um, but I, I want to see that change. I want to see Everton getting amongst uh, good sides when they come to Goodison Park, going on the road and upsetting some of the top six sides as well and really showing what they're all about and, and for us as fans to go to these games and, and really enjoy it. Brilliant. Matt, for people who do care about Everton, assuming there are any <laughs> listening, uh, what day is the Blue Room out? Uh, the Blue Room goes out on uh, Radio City Talk in Liverpool on a Wednesday night at 6.30, but we do uh, pretty much podcasts every day. We have instant match reaction after every game. Um, if you want to hear more from us on Twitter, it's at the Blue Room EFC. Um, my own Twitter handle is at MattJFootball. On the subject of Moise Kane, or Keane, as he's now going, that's really confusing. I don't know what uh, what your pal Danny Jameson says about Moise Kane. But anyway, uh, Lynn Cameron says, Souness was quite damning of Kane yesterday. Living in England, I only know Kane as being a good young prospect and that Juve needed money. Are any of the things labelled at Kane true, says Leon? This was Graham Souness attempting to explain the sale of Moise Kane from Juve as being a, some kind of Adebayor-esque character issue. And he, he's not specific, and he says, I don't know for sure, but there's a kind of a no-smoke-without-fire flavour to the whole thing, which I think is really unfortunate. I, I'm not, personally, I'm not... There was no suggestion when Kane was at, at Juve. He was sent out on loan to Verona. They were delighted with him there. They were certainly delighted with him at Juve. I don't think there's ever really been any suggestions. The only incident I can recall was his father complaining about the club not giving him tickets, at which uh, Moise Kane himself then publicly shut his father up and said, the club's been really good to me. So I really don't know where this comes from, and I don't particularly want to guess myself. Um, but the, I think the issue with Kane is reasonably simple in that he had uh, turned down a contract extension. This is the last year, or would have been the last year of his deal with Juve. He wasn't going to get playing time at Juventus and as such was probably going to move on so the club cashed in I think with Graham Souness he writes a really good column in the Sunday Times every weekend and he clearly benefits from having an editor and the time to review what he says before he puts it into the public domain and he doesn't have that filter when he's on telly and sometimes he he could use it he needs a producer Ben (laughs) now Wolves still no wins they're one of only two sides in the 92 not to have led for a single minute in the league this season, the other one being Bolton, who, to be fair, have an excuse. Uh, is it Europa League? It's no problem for Wolves. This. The, the Europa League should be their priority this season. There's absolutely no danger of them getting relegated. So if they finish 14th in the Premier League instead of in the top half and they end up getting to the Europa League quarterfinals or they get a, you know, a huge tie against a team that comes out of the Champions League, then that was the whole point of them 
you know, qualifying for the Europa League was to have a good run in the Europa League. So yeah. I wouldn't be concerned in the slightest if I was a Wolves Very supporter. nice. All right. Well, a good uh, result that for Everton. Uh, the other team in that kind of trio who are touted as potentially breaking into the top six, who are currently indeed ranked highest of the lot, are Leicester, who are actually third behind Liverpool and City. Fresh from there, 3-1 against the mighty Bournemouth, just to mention Vardy's opener. Oh, absolutely exquisite. And f- like a lob, but a lob that was hit almost like a different kind of goal. Like he really hits it with his laces. It's one of the most assured lobs I think I've ever seen. And, and called to mind that famous goal against Liverpool from the title winning season. Absolutely. Nice to see it was Soyuncu, or however that should be pronounced, who um, fires it way up from... I think it was actually Ben Chilwell. Or was it Ben Chilwell? I think it was Ben oh, right, Chilwell. Well, that's yeah. easier to say. Ben Chilwell then, who <laughs> lumps it upfield... Vardy just Vardy's it. Watching this made me think, why did he retire from international football? And then I thought, oh, that's why, because he can be so sprightly and fresh for another couple of years, which, you know, for a man who drinks vodka with Skittles in it, he probably shouldn't be. Maybe that's the way. (laughs) Who knows? Also on Vardy, he's now scored 12 Premier League goals since Mm. Brendan Rodgers took over as manager, which is more than any other Premier League player in that time, which shows, you know, just how how much he's enjoying playing under Rodgers and and also I think is is a sign of of how Rodgers' arrival has just transformed things there. Tom, Matt, remember when Leicester won the title? They had that great lineup. There was wonderful spirit. But also all the traditional contenders were out of sorts to some extent. Is that not analogous to the current situation with the top four? I know Liverpool and City are looking great, but could Leicester go top four this year? Um, I don't think so, personally. I mean, we are, you know, just... It was only, what, three years ago that they that they had that, that, the second best achievement in the history of East Midlands football. Um, and they've still got a fair few players from, from that time. But I think it, if they got a couple of injuries to key players, maybe they would struggle. Exactly um, like they were saying f- four years ago. Yeah, maybe. You're right. You know, it, it, it could happen, but I would be surprised if it did. OK. Well, as I say, the other top four contenders. Sorry, Tom, what do you reckon? You're going to give a thumbs down, aren't you? No, I mean, I think if you, if you look at the top four, Liverpool and City are clearly miles clear of everybody else. You've then got Spurs and Arsenal, who I'd put them above United and Chelsea, and that United and Chelsea have got lots of problems um, and look like they might struggle to, you know, to hold on to their places in the top six. So there's there's definite potential. I think it's more likely that that Leicester and teams like Everton and perhaps not Wolves because of European commitments. We'll wait to see what happens with that. But that they'll be looking to get ahead of United and Chelsea rather than crashing the top four. But I, I, I think this will be the season that we see the top six broken up in some way. Right. We'll be hearing about Man United and Chelsea's problems right after this. Jules, Rafa, James, Alvaro, what are we going to be talking about in Tuesday's Euro edition of the Totally Football Show? Neymar, Icardi and Monaco's disastrous start of the season. Crikey, Rafa. Shock defeat for Dortmund at Union Berlin, the curious case of Bakary Yatta at Hamburg and a regulation 6-1 from Bayern against Mainz. James, La Partita del Secolo, Juventus-Napoli and of course the Rome Derby. And Alvaro. Barcelona and Real Madrid uh, having a crisis on the 3rd of September. Atletico de Madrid topping the table and the Basque Derby won by Atletico de Bilbao. I'm looking forward to all of that. Back to the Premier League. Matt, you went to the bridge. I surely did, yeah. And Nick Miller is joining us fresh from his trip to St Mary's to see Southampton Man United. Yes. 1-1. Hi, Nick. Uh, 1-1 it finished, as you know. Thoughts on Brave Saints with 10 men hanging on for a point? Brave Saints were were pretty good. Um, They... I, I don't know. They, they, they didn't provide a huge amount of kind of 
threat going forwards other than the, the old counter-attack. But uh, it was a little bit difficult to tell whether they defended very well or United were just kind of pretty impotent going forwards. Right. Would anyone like to hazard a guess on that? Probably a bit of both, I think. I mean... Daniel James has had a fantastic start to his Manchester United career. And what a stunning and goal here. Absolutely fantastic goal. I mean, Southampton paid the price for backing off him, but at the same time, absolutely leathers it, top bins. Um, but there's just there's not a great deal of cohesion to the way that United attack, and they're, they're so dependent now, even more so now that Lukaku, and to a much lesser extent Sanchez, have, have left, um, on uh, Rashford, um, and with Martial being injured as well. Um, and I, yeah, I just I, I don't see that as being a, a viable strategy for the entire season. They have been irresponsible in their transfer window dealings in that there was a lot of dead wood that clearly needed getting rid of, but they've got rid of all of it and they've not really brought in anyone to, to replace They've um, thrown Lukaku that. out with the bathwater. Yeah. Belgium's top scorer, who's on a two goals in two games run with uh, Inter and uh, oh, crucially can score a penalty as well as he did uh, as he demonstrated Sunday night for the Nerazzurri away at Cagliari, a game which has uh, hit the headlines for all sorts of other less positive reasons, including monkey chance when he was taking that spot kick. We'll be, we'll be touching on that in the aforementioned uh, European edition of the Toodley Football Show. I think you almost have to write Man United off for the next two or three years, says um, Optimism's Paul Scholes. Uh, is that fair, Matt? Potentially. I mean, we've spoken about the issues they've got up front. I'd be concerned that they haven't kept a clean sheet in, in any of their last three games when they spent, what, 125 million quid on two defenders? And, and you're talking about players leaving, Damian the latest, yeah. to go today. Chris Smalling to Roma seems like a weird one. He's not the best defender in the world, but it was probably worth keeping around in comparison to what they had. So yeah, it's a big old job. And, the, you know, we'll come on to Chelsea, but the, the thing that is a problem for Solskjaer that isn't for Frank Lampard is that he has been back to this terrific extent with all the money that they've spent and, and it doesn't seem to have solved the problems which were existing in in previous seasons. Last time United had this bad a start to the season was 92-93 when, of course, they went on and won it. But that was a 42-team se- uh, right. season, so they had more time to play with. And they also didn't have a Europa League group which they got drawn last Friday, which is going to take them to Astana, Alkmaar and Partizan Belgrade, which is not the same as the part-time plumbers Red Star Belgrade, <laughs> who are in Spurs Champions League group. But uh, yeah, Astana, that's a round trip of what, 6,000 miles or kilometres or some kind of denomination of distance. Anyway, so that'll play havoc with their, with their plans, perhaps. We'll talk about all about those, um, those European groups in Tuesday's Totally Football Show for now. Let's hear about events at the bridge yet again, Matt. Chelsea undone by their second halves, 2-2 with Sheffield United. Yes, Frank Lampard very cross afterwards uh, at his team's failure to uh, heed his warning that if they didn't get the third goal, they may very well not win the game. Uh, They were pretty good in the first half, as as has kind of been the way. Uh, this season and then they just completely switched off defensive lapses Um, still plenty of positives to take Tammy Abraham principally amongst those two very different goals to his ones at Norwich but two well taken ones but the key thing that is hamstringing them (laughs) this is a pun which I didn't even realise is the fact they've got loads of injuries at the moment Tony Rudiger I watched him play 95 minutes for the under 23s on Friday night he'll be back after the international break you haven't got Angolo Conte When's and, he back? Uh, he'll be back after the international break. Okay. Same with Pedro. This is what uh, Lampard said after after the game. But but those three are all starters, as will be Callum Hudson-Odoi. Ruben Loftus-Cheek is 
is much more serious. He might miss the majority of this season, but he would be starting as well. And crucially, I think at the moment, Rhys James probably would be. He's a player you might not be familiar with, but he was brilliant at Wigan last season. He will come in at right back and, and Cesar Azpilicueta hopefully will get a rest. He's, he's getting accusations um, from certain sections of the media and Chelsea support that he's passed it, which is what happens when you turn 30 and have a bad game. Mm. But he started 140 of the last 141 Premier League games. Crikey. Uh, that's ridiculous. You, know, you, can't, you can't hope to maintain form and fitness if you're playing that regularly. So he needs a rest and, and he was culpable for at least one of the goals on Saturday. Matt, at the final whistle... What did the crowd do at Stamford Bridge? Were they saluting the, the kind of spirit and pluck of the visitors from Yorkshire? Or, or were there some hints of grumbling? No grumbling. Um, there hasn't been any grumbling. It's, it's really strange to see how the atmosphere around the club and in the stadium has, has turned so much uh, since Frank Lampard came in the summer. Uh, so no grumbling yet. You know, you're looking at a team when everybody's fit that will have six, maybe seven academy products as starters. And mm. there's a realization amongst the Chelsea support that this is what they've wanted. So they can't complain about it just yet. You know, they bought on 18-year-old Billy Gilmore because the the squad is so stretched at the moment. So. Fair. What about Sheffield United though, who are currently ahead of Chelsea in the Premier League table? Five points from games with Chelsea, Bournemouth, and Leicester coming back from two goals down at the bridge. When was the last time that happened? Six years ago. Who was against, Matt? I don't know. All oh, right. <laughs> Who caught your eye then from the Blades? Uh, well, you, uh, it's, you know, the Dirigeur thing to talk about with Sheffield United, but the overlapping centre-backs thing is is really strange to watch live. It, it really throws you... I kept thinking, what's Chris Basham doing there? Oh, yeah, it's the, it's the overlapping centre-backs thing. And he particularly was really good at it, but but I think the key to it all is is Norwood. That he, he's one of those who covers every blade of grass. He's the one who drops in when the, when the centre-backs um, overlap and go out wide. So they were good. Ollie McBurney was good in, in the first half too. Obviously paid a lot of money for him. And Dean Henderson, the keeper on loan from Man United for his second season, made a couple of, of excellent saves. But but Chris Wilder's is the one who, who yeah. catches your eye. You know, three promotions in four seasons with Northampton and Sheffield United, managed in every division, uh, great for a quote, but but a very innovative and, and capable manager and, and somebody who might start getting linked with with, uh, with no disrespect to clubs bigger than Sheffield United before too long if this carries on. Chelsea perhaps Peter Hatherley asks is Lampard a real manager or just a caretaker hired to keep the fans happy during a transfer ban doesn't look like he spent any time coaching the team how to defend or play at all in the second half of games uh, I think that's harsh this is his 50th game as a manager slash head coach so give him a bit of time give him the ability to sign some players give him a fully fit squad and you might see which the doesn't involve Kurt Zuma and you never know Elsewhere in the Premier League, Nick Miller, West Ham bought the bookie run to a stop. Watford got their first point at Newcastle and Villa got diddled at Palace. Uh, 1-0 for the Eagles and second goal in two games for Jordan Ayew, former Villa player. But what was that at the end? Well, uh, yeah, deeming that Jack Grealish dived having been fouled twice in the space of uh, a couple of seconds. And then disallowing what would have been Villa's equaliser, but not being able to review it because the whistle had blown. The linesmen have certainly been told when there's an offside to kind of to let things play out a little bit. To if it's a very tight offside, to let things play out a little bit because to see if there is something significant that comes after that. So I don't know whether it was just a case of the, the referee being a little bit sort of trigger happy and being absolutely certain that Grealish had dived despite being fouled twice, um, but. It would have made, surely, have made a little bit more sense to let that play out and give, given VAR the the 
opportunity to sort of take a look at things because it, it, it could only have been a, a marginal decision. He couldn't have been absolutely certain that Grealish dives. West Ham, they look pretty exciting going forward and their 2-0 win over Norwich in which Bizarre team in yellow wore their maroon change kit against the team that plays in claret and blue. What was that? Well, about? that was the, it was the joke about Norwich City that they had the most pointless away kit in the Football League because Nobody. no one else plays in <laughs> yellow. But then that was back in the day when you would only wear your change kit if you had to. Whereas right. now everyone wears their change kit. Everyone does. Allaire, is that right, Tom? Uh, Ali. Ali, with another goal and probably should have had a penalty as well. Yeah, I mean, there were, there were a few VAR situations this weekend uh, I think there is an issue with this high bar that the Premier League decided it wants to use when they announced that I thought okay good you know we don't want to see multiple stoppages we don't want to see the referee coming over to the side of the pitch to check things all the time because yep. that will be boring and time consuming yep. but they've gone so far in the, in the other direction that mm. the version of VAR that is now in place in the Premier League bears no resemblance to the way that it's used in any other country mm. to have had so three major incidents all allowed to, to happen and not be checked by the VAR. I think they have to look at it and, and I think the desire to have a high bar is is a laudable one but I think they have to lower it a little, little or, bit. Or we're asking for Thomas consistency. Well, exactly. Right. Newcastle and Watford Drew. Hornets getting their first point of the season. They are still bottom of the table. Uh, Fabian Schaar has five goals now for Newcastle, which is more Premier League goals than anyone else in their squad. That says a lot, doesn't it? Well, no, that does say a lot. I mean, they did get yeah. rid of their top scorers. Yes. So does the fact that they had their lowest league attendance for a top-tier game at St. James's Park since December 2012. 45,000, which is still pretty good numbers, but uh, that, that might be because it was Watford. I don't know. Watford, by the way, finally picking up a point, but they've got really tough fixtures coming up after the break. They're home to Arsenal, then away at City, and then away at Wolves, which is not quite as tough as it used to be, perhaps. But anyway, we'll see. Tom, can I just say I've checked my big pronunciation compendium? Oh, it yeah. is in, it is in fact Sebastian Allaire and not Sebastian Alley. I stand corrected. Fabian okay. Cher too, as well, isn't it? We're what did I call Fabian Cher? Yeah. Did I call him Shah? Yeah. Oh, that's such a beginner's error. Yeah, Listener, I'm sorry. Let's all take a moment, collect ourselves. Switch While we're doing that, and just forget about all this pronunciation. <laughs> yeah. While we're doing that, here's producer Ben. Thank you very much, Jim. It's Lee Price from Paddy Power on the line. Lee, we're going to start with the North London derby. A 2-2 draw. Very, very exciting. So tell us, please, who's going to finish higher this season, Arsenal or Spurs? Well, our trade's managed to do what the Arsenal Tottenham players failed to do over the weekend, and that separate these two sides. We make Spurs the slight favourites to finish higher than their North London rivals. In the betting of our City-Liverpool market, yes, it's already come to that, Spurs are the favourites to win the league table there. 6-5 to five for them, 11-4 to four for Arsenal. And put it another way, Tottenham are odds-on to finish in the top four. Arsenal are odds-on to finish out. Leicester City are currently third in the Premier League, looking very good under Brendan Rodgers this season. Uh, Give us some numbers, please, on them finishing in the top four. (laughs) Whoa there, Nelly. Uh, Leicester are in to six to one to gatecrash the top four. And that does make them the shortest price outside the big six. But the big six are a lot shorter in that betting. But we do fancy Leicester to finish seventh this season. That's got to be something. We've talked a bit about Sheffield United today after their 2-2 draw at Chelsea. Uh, can they finish in the top half? Hmm. Some might say you're getting carried away there, Ben. Others wouldn't. I won't comment. Wouldn't like to. I'll stick to the numbers. We make them 13-2 to finish in the top 10 this season. For context, that makes them the 18th most likely team to do so. And finally, Lee, let's talk about the Canaries. Norwich have conceded more goals than anyone else. They are good fun to watch. However, will they be relegated? Funny one, Norwich, isn't it? I feel like they've played well almost every game, and yet they are second from bottom. 
and we do make them joint favourites for relegation alongside Newcastle and Sheffield United. All three teams, 7-5 to five to go down. Slightly ahead of them and therefore we think will be safe Aston Villa at 6-4, to four, then Burnley at 2-1, to one, Watford at 23-10 to 10, and Brighton at 5-2 to two, or put it another way, it's going to be chaos down there. Lovely jubbly. You can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com or via the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Starting next weekend is the Women's Super League. Yeah, should be good. Uh, I will be commentating on a game. I'm not quite sure which one yet on oh. Sunday. They're going to be showing uh, pretty much all the games live through the WSL's Facebook page. So it's all free. And uh, yeah, expecting crowds to go up a little bit after the World Cup and mm. this thing of games being played at main stadiums uh, on the back of first team games. We'll see how successful is that is. Is it before or after? Uh, I think it varies between okay. uh, between clubs. But it's an I, interesting thing. That I know there was some controversy about it, but I, it sounds like a good idea. No? Yeah, it, it sounds like a good idea in that it makes the club a bit more unified, but you need to get big attendances for it. Otherwise, you're going to have five to 10,000 people in 50,000, 60,000-seater stadiums. And you'd rather, if you were Man City's women's team, I think you'd rather play at the uh, mini had as they call it the academy stadium and have that full than, than in a cavernous stadium that, that's uh, you know one eighth full or whatever fair we'll have a, a brand new show courtesy of the offside rule all about the women's super league Lindsay Hooper will be co-presenting that with Kate Borsay and if by the way you're an advertiser who thinks ah oh, I'd like to put my moniker all over that get in touch with us at sales at com, and you can get details of that uh, on the Offside Rule podcast or at their Twitter account which is at Offside Rule pod Lindsay will be here with us on Thursday actually before that on Tuesday as we mentioned we've got the uh, European edition of the Totally Football Show and the, we'll be talking about all sorts of stuff there. Some really interesting results midweek. Uh, another uneventful game for Napoli. Uh, losing 4-3 this time as opposed to winning 4-3 with a last-minute own goal from Koulibaly away at Juventus. Uh, there's uh, some dramatic results in Germany, which Raphael Honigstein will be telling us all about and much more. They won't be talking about the old firm game, though, because that's all all saved up for the Scottish football show, Nick. But it was a 2-0 win for Celtic at Ibrox. And you can hear all the details in that show. Uh, I think they'll probably also be discussing the Europa League draw for Celtic and Rangers. Rangers got Porto, Young Boys and Feyenoord. And Celtic have got Lazio. We're off to a flyer. But were held 1-1 by Rome and Roma in the Rome derby uh, on, on Sunday. Wren, who are off to a flyer, am I right, Tom? They are. They lost no. at the weekend, uh, so they're no longer top. But yes, won their first three. Right. Um, they got beaten by Nice, didn't they? They did. Mm-hmm. The new look. Well, not actually new look yet, because none of the new signings started. But uh, yes, the new Ineos-owned niece of Patrick mm-hmm. Vieira. Right. And also Cluj. Hang on a second. Didn't they play Cluj already this season? Yes, it was Cluj who knocked them out of Champions League qualifying before then going on to losing to Slavia Prague in the playoffs. And wham, there they are again, face to face in the Europa League group. Love the Europa League. Brilliant. Uh, Any news on the transfer front, Matt? Uh, Not that I've seen. Has Icardi gone to PSG yet? Uh, That was that was he's signing a new contract and going there on loan. Apparently, Tom seems to think uh, that this is just a cover for Cavani. Oh, Wilfred Bonny, Wilfred Boney, 
could be on his way to Premier League outfit Brighton. He left Swansea for a loan spell at Al Arabi and has been training at Newport County. OK, more as we know more. So the issue with PSG is that they have lost Edinson Cavani and Kylian Mbappe to injury for, this, for the next month. Does they need a striker who can come in, play for a month uh, and then accept not playing? And if there's one thing that Mauro Icardi is used to, it is not playing. So could be a perfect fit for them. That sounds like a disastrous, disastrous arrangement. Uh, there's one that might make me and Nick a little bit cross. Arvin Apaya leaving Forest for Almeria for £8 million. We'll probably talk a bit more about that on the Totally Football League show on which, Wednesday. Which I didn't mention before, so well done for citing that. Totally Football League show on Wednesday. couple of uh, tweets just to finish off for today, listener. Morton Nilsson, thanks for asking Matt. Uh, from my childhood watching football on Norwegian TV, I remember seeing cars parked behind one or both goals at Stamford Bridge. Was it because of a car sponsorship or was it simply parking for players, officials or even the public? It's true, isn't it, Matt? Yeah, I believe it was for disabled supporters and their carers so they could have easier access uh, to their positions in the ground. Or even just stay in the car like you would in the old days when you go to the seaside and drink soup from a thermos from I the front seat. don't think you would have done that with the uh, strikers that Chelsea had back in those days. Uh, errant, errant balls, windscreens, not good. I see. Kevin Fingleton asks, can the panel take some time to reflect on the English career of Alexis Sanchez? He was one of the best in the league and would have won it twice if he'd chosen City. Eh, interesting. Yet he leaves with a whimper after supposedly poisoning two dressing rooms. I mean, it's a great modern sliding doors moment. You know, had Sanchez gone to City and worked under Pep Guardiola, you expect that he would have been energised in some way. Whereas what actually happened was that he went to United and we just saw a continuation of the rot that had already set in um, when he was still at Arsenal. And yeah, I think you'll go down as one of United's worst ever signings. The only mm. thing that kind of lets him off the hook a bit is the fact they didn't have to pay a transfer fee. But obviously we know how much money he was on in terms of wages. Uh, and it'd be interesting to see how he fares at... Um, uh, Inter. At Inter, because obviously mm. he's played in, in Italy previously and, and had he was excellent in Udinese, yeah. Yeah, um, and it, it would be sad if we never see the old Alexis Sanchez again because it's easy to forget what an absolutely phenomenal player he was, but he does look like a busted flush. We'll always have the unveiling video though. Him on the, the piano in the uh, yeah, did, centre circle at Old Trafford. Have Inter pulled out anything as spectacular as that for to, no, to unveiling? No, no. Or very low key? There's not really... That I've seen... I'll ch- I'll check with James Horncastle who was in Italy over the weekend, and because uh, I think the deal only went through late Friday or Saturday, maybe we'll see. I don't think there's been anything particularly high profile and an airport transfer or anything like that. One last question for now, then Ben Mayer says, I have a theory that the real significant jersey number for the most influential player in a squad is not the seven or the nine, or as a continental might think a ten. But the number 21, Ben Seitz, as examples, Pirlo, Silva, Lam, Zidane and Honorginho. Are there any other examples to help my case? What do you think of this? The only number 21 who, who came to mind when I thought about this was Henning Berg, ah. who was uh, the 21 in Manchester United's 1999 treble winning squad. So yeah. the theory starts to... Uh Unravel. Starts to fall down a little bit. It kind of does after you said the word Pirlo, doesn't it? After that, it all goes rapidly downhill. Yeah, Matic had it at Chelsea and I've got the image of him scoring that amazing goal against Spurs in the FA Cup semi-final and, and you could, there's a great picture of the ball arcing toward the top corner and his 21 on his back. And of course, Sam Bissell, you know, he's had a good start at Forest, so he wears number 21. Ronaldinho wore the number 21 shirt in his first season at PSG right. and has not worn it since. I see. OK, very good. Oh, well, that's it then for this edition of the Totally Football Show. Many thanks for being with us. 
along the way. Amy Lawrence, Nick, thank you for coming in. And to Tom and Matt for stalwartly staying through the entire production as... I can only imagine have you, listener. Well done. We'll be back on Tuesday with that Euro show with Rafa, James and Jules. So stick around for that for now. From all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. Totally Football Show.